And now we can turn to Matthew chapter 7 that you heard uh, Brother Brett read for us this morning. If you're a guest with us, we are um, in a sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount, teaching through the Sermon on the Mount that began in Matthew chapter 5, carrying through uh, chapter 7. So we're nearing the end of this, uh, this teaching series, just a few more weeks in uh, this series. And as you heard Brett read this, you know, as I would expect that your mind might have gone to various places and perhaps you were asking yourself and you were thinking of sort of within the context of culture, this idea of judgment. You know, not too long ago, perhaps maybe only a year or 18 months perhaps, some short time really, we used to say, we used to kind of ask the pushback against any sort of the idea of judgment. We would say, who are you to judge? Who are you to say anything to me? What right do you have to judge me or to say this is right or this is wrong? And we would challenge one another, and there was always this pushback within the culture. Sadly, we've gone, it seems, from that side of the coin or that one, one uh, sort of uh, uh, direction to the polar opposite direction, which is now we judge everything. Anything and everything that you say, anything that you do is ultimately going to be judged. If you don't come out and condemn or endorse, then you're going to be judged. If you don't say this thing or that thing, then you're going to be judged. No matter what it is, rather than saying, who are you to judge? We've now sort of in culture, at least it seems like within the world, to say that we have to judge. We're commanded. We, we demand that everyone make a judgment or make a statement, take a position on everything. Further complicating this challenge that we see in our culture, again, both of those extremes being true, and I think the latter one sort of being the rule of the day right now, is that anytime we make a judgment, if you think about what is happening when you say something, you make a judgment about something, you're making a claim of what truth is. You are saying that I have the truth, I know the truth, and you, because you've judged differently, think differently, you must not have the truth, you must not know the truth. And yet, further compounding that issue is that truth is all relative. What is truth? No one seems to have a claim on truth. Who can say what is true or what is not true? Because it's no longer the truth of God's word that rules the day. All of these things complicate this issue about how are we to live with one another and how are we to deal with the challenges that come up in our lives, the sin issues that we see in the world, the brokenness of the world, and what are we to do with that? How as Christians are we supposed to handle these kinds of things? Well, this is what Jesus is teaching us in these first six verses of Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, judge not that you not be judged. Now, even there, I know that most of us are saying to ourselves, is Jesus really saying that we cannot ever make a judgment about others? Is that possible? Well, the rest of Scripture, as we'll explain in a few moments, would say otherwise. But he is teaching us how we are to make judgment and how we are to live with one another. Now, if you go back to the last section of chapter 6 that we taught on, chapter 6 was framed as, from verse 1, Jesus saying, do not live your righteousness, do not be or, or, or overly concerned with what other people think of you, living your righteousness before man. But consider and realize that your righteousness before God, live before God. And so in all of chapter 6, all that Jesus was teaching us was how we walk with Christ 
with the understanding that we are citizens of his kingdom and with our focus and our attention on that relationship and on that calling, on that purpose, that we're citizens of God's kingdom. And so Jesus had defined that in Matthew chapter 5. Then in chapter 6, he turns and says, because God cares for you, because God knows you, because you are his children, you are citizens of his kingdom, this is how you're to live. And you're to live with your focus on me. Stop being so concerned by what other people say, what they see of you, what you how you, they relate to you, what names they call you, what they don't call you. Don't try to look righteous and be the good Christian for the world, but honor me, live for me. Live knowing that I have called you to a purpose. And so here in chapter 7, he begins to take the next step of saying, yes, you are to live as citizens of my kingdom. You are to live for me. You are to live with my uh, calling on your life as the primary thing that you're conscious of, that you're aware of every day, waking up and realizing I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. I am God's son or daughter, and that informing everything that we do. But then we do have to relate to one another. Jesus understood that we are going to relate to one another. But as we look at Matthew chapter 7, trying to understand what Jesus is saying when he says, judge not, we can look back at chapter 6. And the last thing that Jesus taught us in chapter 6 was to not be anxious. He said, do not be anxious. And why? Why did Jesus tell us to not be anxious? Ultimately, what Jesus said was, because I am God. And because I hold tomorrow in my hands. You don't have to worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. There's plenty of trouble in tomorrow. But trust that I am God and I am sovereign over all things. And because you are my children, because you are a citizen of my kingdom, I will care for you. I will provide for you. You don't have to be overly concerned about protecting your own life because that's my responsibility. I am God. When we come to this next, do not, do not be anxious, and now here we turn to chapter 7, and Jesus is now dealing with how we relate to the world around us. He is saying, do not judge. Why? Do not judge because I am God. Trust that I am God. Judge not that you not be judged. When Jesus says to not judge others, and he says it immediately follows that because you will be judged, he is elevating himself and elevating God as God will judge. There is a judge, and that judge will do what the judge is supposed to do. God will do that. And so he tells us that we're not to judge as citizens of the kingdom of God who've been called to live our lives in service to him and for him. We aren't to judge knowing that God will do the judging. And he says, if he's going to judge you, guess what? We can know that he's going to judge everyone. God doesn't single us out. He doesn't say, I'm going to judge this one, and I'm going to judge that one, and I'm not really so worried about these three or four over here. I'm going to judge these. No, God will judge, and God is the only one who can rightly judge because God is the only one who knows all and is sovereign over all. And so Jesus tells us the reason that we don't judge others, judge not that you not be judged, is because that's God's job to do it. We need to let God be God. In our anxiousness, in our being overly concerned about tomorrow from chapter 6, we need to let God be God and care for us and provide for us and exercise his sovereignty over us and just trust him in that. In the same way, we need to let God be God as we look at, out on the world and we see things that are broken, things that perhaps need to be judged or need to be dealt with, and we need to let God do that. Why do we so often feel the need 
to judge others? Why is that perhaps some of our first gut reaction when we see brokenness, when we see sin, when we see things not being handled the way we wish they would be handled? Obviously, it's our pride. Our pride bubbles up, and it's so tempting to think that we, knowing the word of God as Christians, as people who are striving to live obedient lives before God and knowing the truth of scriptures, we begin to think that we are God. Our pride begins to tempt us to make us think that we are God. We've convinced ourselves that we are responsible for acting on God's behalf. God has called us his children, and therefore now he has called us to do his judging because he needs us. That's what we're supposed to do. He, he can't do it on his own, so we have to do that for him. We're sticking up for the truth. We know the truth, and so we've got to fight for the truth. We've got to push back against evil. We make everything a spiritual battle. All of these things are tempting to believe, tempting us to think that it's our responsibility. But when Jesus says, judge not that you not be judged, he is saying, God, who is the only and true authority to judge, is the one who will do that. And it's a matter of faith. The reason, again, that we so often believe and are tempted to think that we need to act in God's place or that we need to be God is because that we don't really believe God is actually there. We don't really believe that God is really aware of all the things that are happening. We don't think that God is involved in all of those things. But go backwards. If God is aware and involved and cares about us, cares about us as his children, promised us that all of the anxieties and things that we might be tempted to worry about, we don't have to worry about because he is there and cares for us, do we not also think in his holiness, in his righteousness, that he will deal properly with everything that happens in the world? He will. And so we can trust that. God is the only one who can do that, and so we need to let God do that, is what Jesus says. Jesus, after just proclaiming that as truth, that we need to let God be God and deal with that situation or, or let go of uh, our, our, our desire to deal with that situation, he then gives a very practical reason as to why we shouldn't judge and why we should deal differently than the rest of the world deals with people. He says that you're going to bring judgment upon yourself. Verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. We look at others around us and we see things being done differently than we might want to do them. And we think and we're tempted to quickly say, I need to deal with this. Well, when we are tempted to judge others, Jesus warns us in a sense. We are inviting that judgment upon ourselves. Some Christians have made it their hobby to condemn and judge every other Christian. I don't, you probably don't do this, but as a pastor, I spend a little bit of time on what's called Christian Twitter. Not a fun place, not very nice. It's amazing to think about all the things that are hurled about one another in that space. Judgment and condemnation amongst believers, people that if we believe at least the testimony of their word, we're going to be in eternity worshiping Jesus side by side with. And yet, judgment. I made a list as I was writing this message of all the things that I see in the, in the culture and things that I sometimes see uh, Christians hurling at one another. And I just decided the Spirit convicted me this morning in the 9 o'clock store. I'm not even going to share that list with you because I don't want to tempt you. You'll just start going down that rabbit trail with all the things that I came up with and then you'll add to it because that's what we do. 
Social media has just magnified this in such a negative way. We see anything that we view differently and we think it is our purpose to go and judge that. But we need to be careful, Jesus says, because the same measure that is we measure others is going to be measured for us. Anyone who does wrong, we think it's our responsibility to condemn. I can tell you that I'm really thankful that the God of the universe, the sovereign who is the only right and true judge, deals with me more graciously than some other Christians deal with their brothers and sisters. Jesus says, the judgment that you use, God will judge you and also others will be used, will judge you. Have you ever found as the critic, as the one who constantly finds fault in others, how often that's all you see? Some of you have bought a vehicle perhaps before. You buy the vehicle, and after you've bought that vehicle, you thought, I bought that vehicle. It was the, it's the greatest vehicle ever. Only a few people have it. I'm kind of the cool guy on the block that has this vehicle. And then all of a sudden, as soon as you purchase it, you just start, where did all of these red Corvettes come from? There was none in this community, and now they're all over the place. Whatever you've bought, that's all you can see. In similar fashion, as we become critical and all we do is walking around looking for what we condemn, we look around and we say condemnation, criticism, judgment, judgment, judgment. We find ourselves, that's all we we become absorbed. And this is where the the truth of Jesus' word comes back. We begin to realize that we also feel that same criticism in our hearts. We don't receive the grace and the mercy of Christ. But all we receive and we feel like we receive is criticism. So Jesus warns us, He says, don't allow yourself to become the judge of the world because you will ultimately be judged by that. He gives a second reason, just a practical reason, as to why we shouldn't find it or make it our occupation and our job to go around condemning the world. In verse 3, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is telling us here to look in the mirror. You're so concerned with the sins of every other person and all of the things that they're doing wrong and all the reasons why you would do them differently that you can't see what's going on in your own heart. Ultimately, what Jesus is teaching us in this teaching is that we cannot be so consumed with the righteousness or the unrighteousness of other people that we lose sight of our own unrighteousness and our own need for Christ. A few weeks ago, I was on a camping trip, and literally, a friend of mine, my brother, he, we had a campfire going, and as you know, the smoke blows. Well, the smoke blew, and a little speck, the finest speck of ash, got in his eyeball. And he started, you know, kind of getting a little woozy, didn't like it. And even now, some of you are feeling, oh, there's something in my eye. Just even the mention of a speck in your eye, it bothers you. It becomes this annoyance. And it was bothering him. He was hurting. He was starting to deal with it. And so I decided I know how to do this. I grabbed a Q-tip, lifted up his eyelid, slept at a Holiday Inn Express last night. So I took that Q-tip, and I was able to perform surgery, and I got that little speck out of his eye, and I saved my brother's life. But I would have never been able to do that. The only reason that I could do that is I had the visibility. I had the capacity to see the actual speck in his eye, and I was able to do that. And Jesus says, worry about the log in your own eye, because only when you've done that will you be able to see the speck in your brother or sister's eye. 
What does Jesus mean by that? Yes, there's literally the idea, the illustration of the physical ability to see. I, had I been so blinded or not been able to see the speck, I would have been able to do nothing about it. But when I realize what Christ has done for me, when I realize the redemption and the mercy that I have received through Jesus, then and only then am I able to rightly assess and see the sin issue, the speck in my brother or sister's eye. And deal with it in the same way that Jesus would deal with it rather than deal with it in the way that I'm so often tempted to deal with it as a man, as in our flesh. This is what Jesus is saying here. If you've been here in our church family long enough, you know that I often use a word to describe myself. Very often since the beginning of our church, I've said it just came up in one sermon and somehow it stuck and now they'll make t-shirts someday, I guess. I say I'm a train wreck. Some of you know that. You guests in the room, you can always call me a train wreck. Just know that, they're, that, is, that it's received in love. <laughs> and I want you to know that's not false humility that I say that, where I confessed at some point years ago that I'm a train wreck and just tell you somewhat regularly that I'm a train wreck, that I'm as much of a sinner in need of the gospel as any one of you. Let me explain what I'm saying here. I know in my soul and my heart, that I am a son of the king. I know the redemption that I have received, the mercy of Christ that I have received. And I strive and I have a, and, and do all I can to live with a personal holiness and to look and act like Jesus. I know who I am in Christ. I'm secure in that. But I also know how sinful my own heart can be. And I know that you might be tempted to think because I'm standing here and you're sitting there that I don't know that I'm as much in need of the gospel as you are, that I'm talking to you constantly, that I'm just holy and perfect. Somehow I didn't need Jesus to die on the cross for my sins like all of the rest of the world. And as one of your earthly under-shepherds of the chief shepherd, I do all I can to try and care and lead and give an example worthy of following. But I know very well my own need for Jesus. And so I remind you often so that you know that I know that I'm a train wreck and that I need Jesus because I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to think that I don't need the gospel as much as any one of us in this room. And so while I'm proclaiming the gospel and striving to lift up Jesus for you, I'm dealing with the log in my own eye. I can assure you, like many good preachers have said, I've never preached a sermon from this pulpit that I didn't first preach to myself, that I didn't deal with my own sin. I didn't deal with Jesus and wrestle with God's word over whatever I might be saying. And so I trust Jesus daily to help me to deal with the log, the sin in my own life, the sin in my own heart, so that I can receive the mercy and the grace of Christ. And having received that grace and mercy, as I've dealt with the sin in my own heart, I can then come to you and I can live and I can share and I can be like Jesus to you because Jesus doesn't come to us in condemnation. God's word says there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, no condemnation. He doesn't condemn us in our sin. He responds to our sin with tenderness, with love, with grace and mercy. How can we as his children, as people who have received that kind of grace and mercy, not pour it out for others? 
So when Jesus says, deal with the log in your own eye before you deal with the speck in your brother's eye, what he's saying is, if you would look at your own unrighteousness and you would see how kind I am to you in your own unrighteousness, if you would recognize your own sinfulness and let me meet you there as you confess it to me and I deal with it and I lovingly bind up your wounds and renew you and make you new, then as you go out into the world, you might reflect me a lot more. And you might not go around in the world looking to condemn every single thing that you see that is wrong. You might see the speck in your brother's eye. And as Matthew 18, which we'll get to in a few moments, calls us to deal with it. But you might go and you might deal with that with kindness, with the love of Christ. You might deal with it as Jesus would deal with it. And Jesus is calling his disciples to reflect him, to be like him. So he doesn't say, he's not telling us to not ever deal with the speck in our brother or sister's eye. He's saying that we should deal with it, we should see it like he sees it. And when Jesus looks at you and I in our sinfulness and he sees our sin and we bring that to him, he is gracious, he is merciful, he meets us, and he makes us new. And we need to deal with our own unrighteousness so that we can see that, so we can experience that. When you've experienced the mercy of Christ as I have, you can no longer go out into the world looking for ways to condemn it. All you can do is reflect Jesus and say, I love you. Jesus loves you. He doesn't condemn you. Jesus, as he's describing this, he's telling us to deal with the speck in our own, or the log in our own eye before the speck. He tells us, and he essentially instructs us how we can elevate him. The way that we help people, the way we come alongside one another and minister to one another and help to deal with the sin issues, the brokenness in our own lives, is we don't come in condemnation, but we come to lift Jesus up. We don't remove the speck in our brother's eye by punching him in that bad eye. We come to him with grace, with tenderness, with love. And only when we've experienced the kindness of God can we share that same kindness with others. So Jesus says, judge not that you not be judged because God will do the judging. Allow God to do what he said he would do. Don't judge others because it's going to just bring judgment upon yourself both from God and from others. And he says, deal with your own sin. Worry more about your own unrighteousness before you worry about the unrighteousness of other people. Now, some of you have heard all of this, and perhaps the moment you heard this message beginning, you heard the text read by Brother Brett, you just sort of stop listening, think your whole time, how are we supposed to do this? We can't live without making some sort of judgment, can we? Jesus couldn't have been against all judgment at all time. And as I said earlier, You're correct. You know your Bibles well. Jesus, in John chapter 7, said, Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. Just a few verses from where we are right now in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is going to deal with false prophets and how to deal with that. And clearly, if there's false prophets that need to be dealt with and need to be assessed, there has to be a judgment made of that. We have to assess and look and understand that. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells us how we are to deal with our brother and sister when there is sin in their life. 
We're to go to them and share that with them. And if we're going to go to our brother or sister and share that with them, then clearly there is a judgment being made there. And so Jesus is not teaching us here that we can't ever make judgment, but it's the heart and it's within the context. Paul, if you read any of his letters, all of his letters in some way are making a judgment that says one of the churches he's writing to is not really doing things too well. There's correction being offered. So what is this all about? Is Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 that we're not to judge and we can't judge? Or is he saying in John chapter 7 that we are to judge with right judgment? Yes, that's the answer. Jesus is saying both. The key to what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 7 is that God will be judged. Let God be judged. Deal with your own sin before the sins of others. And we could summarize this whole teaching by saying we are not to condemn. You heard me quote Romans. There's now therefore no condemnation. This kind of judgment that Jesus is dealing with here is a judgment that condemns others. And just think about how quickly we do that and how tempted we take our minds off of ourselves and we go to other people. When you hear a good sermon, perhaps that's not very often, you might say to yourself, man, I wish my wife was here to hear that. Wouldn't it be awesome if my brother had heard this sermon, my good friend? He needed to hear this one. I can tell you I hear that very often. It's tempting to always be looking at Jesus' teaching and look and try to apply it to other people. But it's hard to look inward. It's hard to assess ourselves to deal with our own stuff. And so we have become experts in other people's sins, other people's brokenness, other people's things that need to be fixed. And this is the critical spirit, the condemning spirit that Jesus is teaching against here. If you find yourself tempted to being or even exercising some idea of I am an expert in what all these other people are doing and you don't often reflect on your own sinfulness, if it's hard for you to confess your sins to a brother or a sister in the Lord, to come to prayer and ask for forgiveness or any of those sorts of things, you might be someone who Jesus is speaking to here saying stop becoming an expert, stop trying to be an expert in everyone else's sins and look at your own life. Yes, we do have to make judgments. There are judgments and assessments that have to be made about other people, but we don't judge the world looking to condemn the world and everyone that we think does things or looks at the world differently than us. This is what Jesus is saying. We hold both of these teachings, to not judge, to not condemn others, and to judge with right judgment. We know that he can't be saying that we never make any judgments, but we do so rightly. So what does it look like to make right judgments? Here's four steps, four things that I would encourage you to do. Let God be God. Stop looking for ways and opportunities to condemn others. We're gracious towards others in their sin. As you encounter the brokenness and the sinfulness of other people, reflect the same mercy and grace that Christ has shown you and be gracious to them. Look more at your own unrighteousness before looking at the unrighteousness of others. And when there is sin and there is brokenness, the solution to that problem is not to condemn it, but is to elevate Christ and to make Christ more beautiful than the sin issue that exists there, whatever it might be. I can tell you in my own life, the only reason that there is victory over sin in various areas and things that I encounter on a regular basis is because I care more about Jesus. I love Jesus more. I want to honor him. Any personal holiness that you see in my life is a reflection of my desire to honor my king, not to not be judged by you.
That's not the goal. And so lift Jesus up. Make Jesus more beautiful in your own life and watch as that influences other people. The last line of this teaching is often a confusing one and it's been often misunderstood in verse 6. Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. That verse, if you've heard that verse quoted or if you perhaps have quoted that verse, I would suggest to you that you have said that in some form of judgment. I'm not going to throw out my wisdom and all of my knowledge and my love and kindness to you before a pig. Because all you're going to do is you're going to not receive anything I say. And that's the truth, by the way. So often as we have the truth, we have God's word, and as we try to throw it out into the world, it's not received, it's not listened to, there's no response to it. And you might feel like it's received like it would be received by the dogs or the pigs. In this context, Jesus, the dog in Jesus' day was not the pet that slept at the end of the bed. These, the pet dogs weren't pets at all. They were filthy. They were wild and they scavenged. In the same way, pigs were the most filthy of all the animals. And so we see this. But let me give you a different perspective on this verse. Jesus often used a bit of irony in his teaching and he would sort of reverse things and turn them on their head. So perhaps Jesus is saying to us, you think you have all of this wisdom you think you know all of the things that are right and wrong. You think that you are righteous and holy. Why would you waste your time on all these people that are never going to listen to you? Why would you spend all your energies if that is what you think of them? And isn't that how we so often look at the rest of the world? We think of others who see things differently than us, look at the world differently than us, have brokenness, have real sin that needs to be redeemed by Jesus. True brokenness. And our look upon them is they are filthy. They are wild. They are not worthy of our love. And so we condemn them. Jesus never called another human being a dog or a pig. So when he says this verse, he's not calling you and I or anyone in this world a dog or a pig because that's not how Jesus sees us. But perhaps too often we've seen others as dogs and pigs because they do things differently because there is real challenge in their life. And Jesus is saying, if you think you know it all, why would you waste your time on them? That's not who they are. The dogs and the pigs is all of us. Filthy, broken, sinful people. And in the Lord's kindness, he has redeemed us and made us new. And we have been called sons and daughters of the Most High God. And the world around us, when we go out into the world and with our eye looking towards condemnation and how we can correct every wrong and be the Holy Spirit for the Holy Spirit, who needs none of our help, by the way, all we offer, we treat them like that. And we need to remember our own sinfulness, remember our own brokenness. And Jesus would say to us, stop looking at people that you can't see my hand at work in their life yet as filthy or less than you because they are no different than any one of you. They are sinful, broken people. We are sinful, broken people in this world who have been redeemed by a gracious and merciful and loving Savior. And so I want to tell you, if you're sitting in this room this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and perhaps you've encountered some Christians in the world who have thought it was their job to condemn you or to correct every wrong in your life, that is not the message of Christ. 
That is not the gospel. Our responsibilities as Christians is to testify of the kindness and the goodness of Jesus and tell the world of all that we have been redeemed of. And when we do that, when we lift up Jesus and we let God be God, we let his righteousness overflow and we let him be the judge and we just take it upon ourselves to reflect the mercy that we ourselves have received. I believe, I trust, I live with faith believing that God will make all things new. And he will redeem the brokenness that exists in my dear friend's life, the people that I love, my neighbor that looks at the world differently than I do, that rejects everything that I have to say about God right now. I trust that God is God and he can do it. And my responsibility is to not judge, to not treat them as filthy, but to love them as Jesus loved me. Because I was not worthy and he loved me anyway. We were not worthy and he loved us anyway. The world might seem as if it's not worthy. He loves them anyway, and let us be a reflection of that love to his people. Lord Jesus, let us pray and help. Jesus, we ask for your help to be the people you have called us to be, to reflect you to a world that so desperately needs you. Yes, we can see the brokenness that exists. We can see the pain, the suffering that so many are walking in because they can't even see their own sinfulness. And so I pray, Lord, help me to be someone who sees first my own unrighteousness, looks at my my own broken heart. And as I receive your grace, your mercy, help me, help us as a church to reflect that mercy to others. Holy Spirit, we need you to guide us, to lead us, to care for us, to shepherd us along. Help us to be all you've called us to be. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Stand and sing with us. i
of mercy that Jesus does receive us just as we are, and I pray that you would know that hope and the love of Christ um, this morning. Uh, two announcements for our calendar for this week. Uh, tonight is our community night, so if you're a, a guest especially, you might not have heard of this, but the fourth Sunday of every month, we come back here at 5 p.m., and it's just an opportunity for us to hang out together. This is sort of our family time as a church, and so if you're looking, hey, I'd like to get to know some people in this church. I want to connect more with the body of Christ here at City Church. Coming back this evening at 5 will be a great opportunity to do that. We'll have some uh, ballpark-style food. I don't know exactly what that means, but I assume nachos are involved, maybe some hot dogs um, in our cafe. And then we're going to make our way down uh, to the soccer fields this beautiful day. We're going to play a very mean game of kickball. I say, I just shouldn't have said mean. That's, that's, that was uh, my competitive juices. We're going to play a very docile game of kickball. No one will get injured. And, uh, and there'll be a bunch of other games we'll have down there for students and kids to hang out and play. So come back this evening at 5 for community night. And then next Sunday, uh, we have City Church 201. And that is the uh, class, if you are looking to, and you're saying, hey, I'd like to know about how I become a covenant partner in this church. That's our term for membership. I want to know how I join this church formally. Then come to this class, and we will help you understand. We'll walk you through that process. Um, by the way, you're not required to move forward with that after coming to the class, but you just want to know what all is involved and sort of know about that, that's the class you should come to. We do ask that you would RSVP this week for that class because we will provide a meal and childcare for you. And that is going to follow next Sunday uh, uh, 1030 service. So immediately following next Sunday's 1030 service, we'll go in our uh, cafe, grab food and move over into the kids church area for, uh, for that class. So um, if there's nothing else, I'd love a chance to pray for you. I look at on the crowd and I see so many I don't know, uh, even if a chance to just shake your hand and say good morning to you. I'd love an opportunity to do that. I'll be right down front here for a little bit. And uh, thank you so much for being here. We'll see you back this evening at 5 o'clock. God bless. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane. And we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.